If you have your Bibles, would you please open to Genesis 2? Um, if you don't know me, my name is Joel. I'm one of the pastors here, and it's a privilege to preach to you. We've been going through Genesis. We're going through Genesis 1 through 11, and today we are in Genesis 2. And that's a sweet song to sing, Your Will Be Done. It's not my will, but yours be done. And it's easy to say that, but it's harder to say that when we come up against Scripture that pokes us and prods us. If you missed Esteban's sermon from last week, you can find that on the website, and I strongly encourage you to listen to it, because there is so much that is foundational for our faith that is rooted in Genesis 1. And much of the same is true for us in chapter 2, and that will continue to be true throughout this series. Esteban gave you five observations from Genesis 1, and like last week, you'll notice some of the same sorts of themes. We are not touching everything that could have been touched in these chapters. Uh, we are focusing on some key highlights that we believe are important for our church to know right now in its season. Now, between the first three chapters, uh, chapter two can often be overlooked because you read about God creating in chapter one, and we see the crea creation mandate to be fruitful and to multiply and take dominion over the land, and chapter three is foundational because of Adam's rebellion and the curse of sin. And chapter 2 can kind of feel like it's just there, recapping day 6 from chapter 1, just giving us a little more detail. But it's more important than just giving us some extra details. There are foundational truths in this chapter that are important for our lives, especially in the generation that we currently live in. The world hates the truths found in Genesis 1 through 11. Even last week, it was amazing that Esteban is preaching some of the most basic things about creation, some of the most basic truths that are found in this world, and it feels so controversial that he's saying these things. You can feel the tension in the room when he says basic things like men and women are different. That should be an obvious thing to Christians, and yet in our day it's pushed against so much. And so I want to begin, before we even get into Genesis 2, I want to exhort you, Christian, do not be ashamed of God. Do not be ashamed of his word. Maybe you brought a friend here this morning. And you might be tempted when you hear something that the world would scoff at and be thinking, I wonder what they're thinking. I wonder how they're taking this. Well, let's... Not necessarily wrong to be thinking. You should be concerned about teaching your friends and your neighbors. But my exhortation to you is to not be ashamed of God's word. Esteban stated well last week that God has set up boundaries. He set up how this world works and he is our creator. And we submit to his authority. And so how he determines man to live is how it should be. And we joyfully follow and we submit to him. We obey knowing that it is the best possible way for man to live in submission to God and his boundaries and that he is our creator and our authority 
and allowed to set them up the ways that he wants them to be set up. If you're not a Christian or you're new to the Christian faith or you're maybe new to being in a church, I want to remind you that these are the words of your creator, your maker. He is the potter and you are the clay. They may be shocking to you over the next few weeks, but they are from your God, and I encourage you to think and ponder these truths that you will hear. God has set up this world, and he has made it good, he says in Genesis 1. And when we go against the way that God has created things, we distort this very goodness and pervert it, and we do not want that for you. So consider these words from your God. Pray with me. Father, we ask for your help this morning. Would your spirit give us wisdom and understanding? Would you increase our faith in your word, even as Satan would tempt us to be ashamed or embarrassed of you? Would we love you and the ways that you have made us to be? Father, this seems as a simple prayer, and yet we know that it is so easy to despise your word and to go against it, as we often do. So grant us faith and help us obey this. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, the first thing that you'll notice in Genesis 2 is that God has intentionally made a day of rest. Starting in verse 1, it says, Thus the heavens and the earth were finished, and all the host of them. And on the seventh day, God finished his work that he had done, and he rested on the seventh day from all his work that he had done. So God blessed the seventh day, and he made it holy, because on it God rested from all his works that he had done in creation. God finished creating the heavens and the earth in six days. He saw it, and he said it was very good, as we read last week. And then God decides that he will rest on the seventh day from all the work that he has done. Now, God did not need to rest, as we do. When you work a long, hard day, you feel tired, you feel worn out, you want to sleep. When you've had a, rest, a stressful, long week at the office or with the kids or at school, you often feel like you need to take a break and a rest. But this is not how God is. Our rest is because we are weak, but God's rest is not because he is weak. He has set up this day of rest for his people and he has made it holy for himself. I'm not going to say much on the Sabbath right now, except for to say that it is very important. And we will teach you more in depth on the Sabbath in the future, but for now, what you need to know are some basic things. You need to know that the Sabbath is important. Sunday is the Lord's day. As much as possible, you should organize your life so that you are able to worship God on the day that he has set aside for worship with his people. There are various things, or various views on how Christians should act on the Sabbath and, and what they should do and on the Sabbath, and even in this church, there's differing views on this. And our church will have room for different convictions, convictions on this matter, but we insist that God's people make the Sabbath important. Skipping the church, skipping church and worship on Sunday morning for leisure activities is not good. Skipping church because you stayed up late on Saturday night at a party is not good, or going to a concert, or going to a sporting event. Prioritize the Lord's day. Come and worship him with his church, his bride. Do not neglect it or think it as an optional thing. 
for a Christian to do. When you're on vacation, if possible, you should find a church and worship with other saints on vacation. Give the day to the Lord. You know, I grew up, and I don't think we ever went to church on vacation. And looking back, I realized that taught me that when things were busy or life was a little hectic, church could go by the wayside. It was kind of this optional thing. It was good to do if you had the time, but it wasn't that important. And it diminished my view of the Lord and the Sabbath and and the church. And so don't do that for your kids. Prioritize the Sabbath for your family. Teach your kids that this is an important day. Well, more can be said on that, but that's a sermon for, sermon for another time. But prioritize the Sabbath. It is important. The next thing for you to know is how the Lord formed you. After verse 3, it starts to recap God creating in the sixth day. And verse 7, it says, Then the Lord God formed the man of dust from the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. And the man became a living creature. God formed you from dust. We see God remind us of this again in chapter 3. He could have formed you from anything. He could have made you from gold. But verse 7 tells us that we are made from dust. What is dust? Dust is nothing. You rarely give it any thought. It is not valuable. It is not a collector's item. It's just dust. And this is what you were made from. And God is telling you this so that you remember your place. Men want to boast in themselves. They want to conquer the world and be gods in their workplace. They want to brag with their toys, show off their greatness to the world. If you're in school at IU, you probably know this well. I graduated from the business school at IU. And even just walking through the building, you can sense the arrogance of man. When a basketball player dunks on another basketball player, he flexes as to show his dominance and his greatness over all others. People use social media for this all the time to show their greatness, how great of a wife they are, how great of a husband they are, how great of a friend they are. Man loves to boast in himself. God's word tells us that you were made from dust. So you're the greatest at the sport. Do you not know that in a few short years, your body will decline as it begins to return to dust? Sure, you have lots of money, and you can show off to the world, but even your toys will end up in a landfill in a few short years, and they will return to dust as you will return to dust, and you will no longer be able to enjoy them. God tells you that you were made from dust to humble you. You are not like him. You are not all-powerful. You are dust. Now sadly, the people who most need to be reminded that they are dust are often too proud to heed the warnings and the reminders that they are made from dust and that they will return to dust as we'll see in Genesis 3. Now some people have a problem saying that we were made from dust, but no one can argue that that is where man ends up. This body of dust will one day fail It will be in the ground lifeless. Do not live for this life, church. Do not live for the body, but instead use your body to live a life for the Lord. 
Do not think yourself great, but remind yourself often that you are dust. But as much as the humbling and the warning is needed to remember that we are dust, we must also give praise and thanks to God for how liberally he has blessed us. Though we are dust, God has made man for his own glory, and he has still been incredibly generous to man. Verse 8 says, And the Lord planted a garden in Eden, in the east, and there he put the man whom he had formed. And out of the ground the Lord God made to spring every tree that is pleasant to the sight and good for food. Now God created a garden for Adam. He caused him to have every tree that was pleasant and Pleasant to him for sight and good for, good for food. To spring up and to bless him and to nourish him. But now sin has entered the picture. It hasn't entered the picture yet, excuse me. But even as we live in a sin-cursed world, we still see how God has created this world to bless and to nourish us. And some of you are always complaining about your life. And there is always a gray cloud in your sky. The irony is that the person who always has a great cloud in their sky is often acting with the same pride as the man who wants to show off his toys and his greatness because he doesn't remember that he's dust. So too, the man who is always complaining about his lot and can never be cheerful and thankful for the God's provision is forgetting that he is not dust, and he is forgetting that God has blessed man liberally. Now you wonder, how, how can the man who's boastful be the same as the grumpy complainer. Well, the grumpy complainer believes that he deserves to be more than dust. He believes he should be great. And he is not, and so he complains about it. It's someone else's fault that he is not great, or some circumstance outside of his control that he has not reached greatness, and so he complains to make sure others know that he would be great if this thing had not happened. And if you're the person who is always complaining about your life or about work. Stop and remember that you're dust. You are not owed anything. But don't just stop there. Remember and give thanks to God that he has blessed you more abundantly and liberally than you deserve. So you don't make as much money as you feel that you deserve. Or your boss is a pain to you. Or you don't get the recognition that you feel you're owed. Or your landlord is annoying. Or someone is overlooking you and your hard work. But has God not blessed you more than you deserve? Has he not provided this world for you to enjoy? Has he not given you a family to bring you joy? Has he not clothed you and fed you? Has he not given you a church to be cared for and to care for? And for those of you who are Christians, most importantly, has he not saved you from your sin and give you all the spiritual blessings in Christ? What do you have to complain about? Even in your trials and weakness, even in your sickness, has God not promised to work all things together for your good? Why then do you act as if he's only brought things into your life to cause you pain and to hurt you? Has he not given you his word to cling to? Has he not given you his presence and peace? Some of you should reread verses 8 through 9 this week and spend time giving thanks to God for blessing you so liberally. Remember you are dust, but remember that God has blessed you and give thanks to him for being so kind to man. The next thing I want to touch quickly on is that God created man to work. 
Work is not a result of the fall. It is good. Yes, our work is now harder, as we'll see next week. Yes, Adam's work in the garden would be easier and more delightful than ours is today. But God did not create man to be idle and lazy. He placed Adam in the garden to work it. Verse 15 says, The Lord God took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to work it and to keep it. Adam was given a job by God, and he has work to do. So don't despise that you have work. God has created man for this, and it is good. God has given you hands, and he's given you feet for a purpose. He gave you a mind to understand things and reason. And you should think to yourself, I was not created for only eating and drinking. I must serve some purpose. Don't spend your life walking aimlessly. You should have a purpose. Do you know what your purpose is? Yes, we are to glorify God with our lives, but how do you do that? What work and purpose has God given you? Do you know the answer to that question? Did you know that someone could be working the exact same job as another man, and one could be living with a purpose, and one could be living aimlessly? One man could be a construction worker, and he is living with no purpose, only to make money and to eat and drink and to do as he pleases. Another man could be working the exact same job, but living with a purpose. He is taking responsibility for others. He's working with the intent of providing great service to others, to honor God because this is how God has gifted him. He makes money to provide for his family and to bless others in his church. Two men, same job, one living and working with a purpose and one not. So what purpose has God given you? What work has he given you to do? If you cannot answer this question, then ask one of your pastors to help you. Don't aimlessly work a job and come home and veg out. God has created you for work and to work for a purpose. And after God gives this command, after this, God gives the command not to eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. We know how that goes, and we'll focus more on that next week. And then God says something amazing. Adam is alone at this point, but God says in verse 18, Then the Lord God said, It is not good that man should be alone. I will make him a helper fit for him. Now let's notice the first half of the sentence. It is not good for man to be alone. You know this to be true. If you could have everything that you wanted in life, and it was easy, and it was comfortable, you had your house, you had no issues, you succeeded in your craft, at your job, you had all the food you needed, but you had no one to share this life with, it would feel as an empty life. I knew of a man growing up He was a family friend, and he had gained the whole world. But in the process of gaining his wealth, he lost his family and his kids. He had all the success. He had all the money he could want, but he had no one to share it with. 
and they come with a great cost. And they found this man ending his own life at his home. And we hear stories about this often. You can have all the worldly treasure, but we know that it is not good for man to be alone. Adam lived in literal paradise. You could not ask for a better place to live. And yet it wasn't good for him to be alone. And so God says that he will make a helper fit for him. So God brings all the beasts and the birds to the man to name them. And Adam names the animals, but there still was not a helper fit for him. And God then causes a deep sleep to fall upon the man. And he takes a rib from Adam to use it to make a woman who will be a helper fit for Adam. So God creates woman. He creates Eve. And she was made for Adam. Her purpose was to be a helper to Adam, to submit to his leadership, to help him fulfill the purpose that God had given him. And women, that is still a woman's purpose today. Now I know this is the part of the sermon where you want to squirm out from underneath it. Up until this point, I haven't said much that's too hard. Or that most churches, maybe in our country, would disagree with. Yes, you should work. Okay, good. I can buy that. And I know that this is the part of the sermon where most pushback will come from in your heart. But remember my exhortation, Christian. Do not be ashamed of God's word. God took a rib from Adam and created Eve for Adam to be a helper fit for him. This is the purpose that God created Eve and for woman. But this is not just an Old Testament thing. You might be thinking, well, that's, a, that's the Old Testament, and so that doesn't really apply for me today. But the New Testament says the same stuff. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 11, 8 through 9, For man was not made from woman, but woman from man. Neither was man created for woman, but woman for man. And Paul continues to make it clear. He says in verse 3 of the same chapter, I want you to understand that the head of every man is Christ. The head of a wife is her husband. And the head of Christ is God. And Paul continues to be more specific when he talks about marriage in Ephesians 5. Starting in verse 22, he says, Wives, submit to your own husbands, as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and is himself its Savior. Now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of the water with the word so that he might present the church to himself in splendor without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. Peter also tells wives to submit to their husbands in 1 Peter 3.1. And so here's the rub. Many Christians can handle Ephesians 5. They're, many Christians are fine with having Ephesians 5 read at their wedding, the idea of the wife submitting to the husband. They know that the husband is supposed to love the wife as Christ loved the church. But there are two areas where the church will scoff or squirm away from 
today, and those two things are this. One, the idea that woman was made for man, as I've already read in 1 Corinthians and Genesis 2. And the second part that the church abandons scripture on is the truth that God made Adam first, and therefore he gave him a place of authority over women. That is to say that a woman should not be in authority over a man. And when you understand this truth from Scripture, it makes sense all over why passages such as pastors and elders should be men, because women are not to have authority over men. And you might think that sounds crazy, but Paul lays this out crystal clear in 1 Timothy 2. In 11, verse 11, he says, Let a woman learn quietly with all submissiveness. I do not permit a woman to teach or to exercise authority over a man. Rather, she is to remain quiet. For Adam, here's his reasoning, for Adam was formed first, and then Eve. And Adam was not deceived, but the woman was deceived and became a transgressor. Now Christians will do all sorts of things to try to get away from this because they don't want the world to scoff at them. They blush when they read passages like this. And so they have to find a way to get out from underneath them so that they don't feel backwards to the world and to their flesh. They'll say stuff like, well, that was just cultural, that was Paul's time, and our culture is different now today. But the silliness. Genesis 1 and 2, along with Paul in 1 Corinthians and 1 Timothy, root their argument for male headship in the creation order. Before sin, Adam was formed first, then Eve. Woman was made for man, not man for woman. God made Adam a helper fit for him. Now the world hates this idea that a woman, that God has made a woman to be a helper, a helpmate for man. They think that this makes you less than a man. To submit to a husband is said to be belittling to, to a woman. But the world is in rebellion to God on this point, and it's to their harm and to their shame. A woman is spiritually, morally, and intellectually equal of a man, but she has been given a role to be under his authority and his protection and the care of a man and to be a helper suitable for him. And woman is still made in the image of God as Genesis 1.27 shares. She's not less valuable, but she has a different role. And so Christian women don't believe the lie that the world tells you about your position. God created this position for you. It is good and it's glorious. And you should treat it as such. Don't be tempted to look down on the position that God has made for you. Don't let the world distort it. Now, sin, as we see next week, has distorted this, and your sinful flesh wants to fight against this. But love the way that God has made you. The world will tell you that you'll be happier if you fight against the way God made you. They say that if, if you're in charge of your life, you'll finally be free and happy. You don't need a man. You can be in charge. If you can be the authority in this world, you'll have a more fulfilling life. You can be and do anything a man can, and a man can be and do anything a woman can. That is a lie from Satan and a recipe to make you miserable and dishonor God in the position that he's made you for. The scoffer says, so a woman's just supposed to serve the man. 
And that's all she does. She just makes food and she does laundry and just has kids. Don't have ears for the mocking of this. Trust that the way God has made man and woman is good. And don't let mockers think less of the high position that God has given women. As if because she's called not to exercise authority over a man, that means she's worthless and she's just a slave. This is foolishness. Young women in our church, you should have this purpose in your mind as you think about your future. The majority of us are called into marriage. If your desire is to be a wife and a mother, that should have an impact on your future decisions. That should probably affect how you think about school. That should affect how you interact with others and what kind of jobs and positions you enter into. God made Adam first, and because of that, it has implications for how men and women interact. These are more of the boundaries that Esteban spoke of last week. Women should not exercise their authority over man. It's not proper, and it's not how God has made women to be. For instance, women shouldn't be police officers or on the front lines of battle in the military. It's to man's shame. This is not how God has created them. It's shameful that in our nation, there are so many women in authority in our government. This is in large part because men have failed to obey God and to fulfill the role that God has created them for. It is not to say that nothing good will ever happen or be helpful from a woman who's in authority, but it's not proper order. It's not honoring to God, and it's not helpful for the woman in that position and for those under her care. Now, I know some of you hate this, but what I'm telling you is the truth of Scripture. And I tell you this because I want want to protect you from going down a path where you will live contrary to the position that God has called you for. When a woman takes a position of authority, it's like a kid trying to take a square block and put it into a circular hole. It won't work properly. And I tell you men this. I tell men this because I want to protect you men from abdicating your responsibility to lead your families. Well, maybe you feel your wife, she's just a more gifted leader. I've heard men say, well, my my wife, she's, you know, she's more spiritual than I am, so she kind of does the spiritual stuff. That's not good. God has made you to be the leader. God has made you to lead your wife and to come along and for her to come alongside you and to be your helper in your leadership. We've all known the marriages where the woman is the head of the house, and we know that it is backwards. It's awful for the wife, it's awful for the husband, it's awful for the kids. Trust in the way that God has made you for your good. Men, you should desire places of leadership where you can be over and serve others. In leadership. Now, to be fair to many of our church, many of you are already on board with this idea. You're on board with the wife submitting to her husband. You've read Ephesians 5, and you even had it read at your wedding. And you know that the husband is supposed to love his wife as Christ loved the church, and he lays himself down for her to serve her and love her. And the woman submits to the husband as the church submits to Christ. And this is one of the main purposes of marriage, to put the gospel on display. The husband 
thinking of himself, thinking of his wife before himself, excuse me, the husband who thinks of his wife before himself and he dies to himself in order to love her and serve her. This is how Christ has served us. And the wife submitting to the husband and his leadership to help him and serve him as Christ, as the church submits to Christ. You've heard this many times and you know this well and you've agreed with all of that that I've said so far. But humble yourself and be honest that you do not submit to these scriptures even though you acknowledge them to be true at times. Husbands, you are happy to let your wives lead so that you don't have to do the work. You're happy to let your wife lead because if you lead, there's going to be conflict. So if you just let her lead, you don't have to do as much and there'll be less arguing. And so you abdicate your responsibility and the role that God has created for you. You do not lay your life down for your wife. You think of saving your life instead of serving. You are actually partly responsible for why the world scoffs at these verses because of your disobedience. No man in this church should be reminded of Ephesians 5 or these passages and not feel a deep conviction of his failure. Every time you read that passage or you hear it referred to, it is an opportunity for you to repent for the ways that you rebel against it in your marriage. Now, women, you might, women, you might agree with what I've said and agree with the purpose that God has created you for, but don't be blind to your rebellion still today. You fail in this work for your husband you fail in this work towards your husbands and often despise the position that God has made you for. You have questions about your marriage or about theology or about how you will parent a certain situation. And so instead of going to your husband, you'll just figure it out for yourself. You'll figure it out for your family. And you deceive yourself because you tell yourself you're just being a helper. When really you're going to your husband to tell him how it's going to be. So I'm just saying that women shouldn't read or learn. No. Stop taking things to the most perverse meaning. Of course a woman can help her husband and learn things about this world. But she does it in submission and in humility and under man's authority. So how does a woman help her husband? She helps in many ways, but I'll quote, or I'll note just a couple. A woman helps her husband by strengthening him to complete the purpose that God has created for him. Almost any time you hear of a great man in history or a great pastor, it is because he has a great wife who has helped him. She gives him strength by who she is. She is a helper fit for him. Like he was missing part of himself and the puzzle wasn't complete. But now that he has her, he's able to function properly by the strength and support that he finds from his wife. Another way that a woman is helper, is a helper fit for her husband, is because she helps him see and repent of his sins. Now this seems like it shouldn't be true and should be contrary to what I'm saying. But it's not. It's a lie that you've believed. No one helps me see my sin more clearly than my wife. She's around it the most. She knows my sin the most. 
She has to deal with my sin the most, as I do for her sin. But she helps me see it. Now, how the woman helps the man see the sin is vital. The how can take it from a woman being a helper to a woman overstepping her role and being in charge of her husband. If a woman is berating her husband about all the ways that he fails and how she's treating, not treating, him prob- treating her properly and treating him like he's an idiot for not understanding this thing or that thing or forgetting this, that is not good and not useful and not how God has designed her to help him. But if she, in a gentle and submissive spirit, tells her husband the sin that she sees, if she is patient with him as he is working through and repenting of his sin, is sweet to him and a helper in the midst of his sin, then she's a great help in this. My wife has often told me, I think you need to talk to Joshua and Esther about this. And it's just, and she's right. A woman being submissive to her husband doesn't mean that she doesn't help her husband see her sin and that she just shuts up. That would be no help at all. But the how is very important. And you need, if you need more help on what the how actually looks like, you can talk to any of the pastor or elders' wives in this church, and they would be happy to discuss that with you. But a woman helps her husband see his sin and repent of his sin. And finally, a woman helps a man to lead when she purposely puts herself under his authority and requires him to lead. This is something that you could do whether you're married or not. If you're working out in the workplace right now, outside of the home, maybe you're not married yet, you can place yourself under man's authority. When you talk to your boss or your coworker who might have an equal position to you, if he's male, you don't talk down to him like he's stupid because he's doing something wrong. Keep the position that God has created for both of you, both you and man in mind. Now much more could be said about this, but I kind of want to leave it there. I know there are lots of questions that you probably could ask. Some of you are thinking, well, well what about this? And what about that? And what about single people? And, and what if a woman, I have a woman who's, a bo- who's my boss? And what if this? And it's not that I don't think that there are good questions to ask that pertain to your life. But I want you to first stop with those questions. And I want you to ask this question to yourself and answer honestly. Are you on board? with the general truth that God created Adam first and that he gave man a special responsibility of authority? Are you on board with what scripture says that a woman's position is to be that of submission and not leading and taking authority over men? If you're on board with those things, well then we can talk about your questions. But if you say no to all those things, and you have all these questions there, they're the equivalent of someone who wants to talk about abortion. And they want to say, well, what about this? And what about this instance? And what about this? Meanwhile, they are okay with every form of abortion. They're just trying to be obnoxious. Are you on board with how God has made man and woman? Do you believe that he has given man and woman these boundaries and that they are good? Church trusts that God created Adam first, and he gave him a special responsibility of authority. He created women with equal value, 
but a different role. Submit to that role whenever you see it in Scripture in your life and be confident that this was the good and wise plan of God from the very beginning. Heavenly Father, thank you for your word. Father, even though it goes against what the world would say is good and wise, we know that your word is true and will forever be so. Father, give us faith to believe your word. Help us not be ashamed of it. Help us not be embarrassed by it. Help us be thankful for it and love it and cherish it and not be ashamed, but rejoice in it. Father, thank you for how you have made man and woman to work. This is good, and your purposes are good, and we love you for it. Father, as we sing this song, would you help us have faith that we love your will and not ours? We want to submit to your word and not to the world. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, you can stand. We're going to sing the same song that we sung for the offering as the close. We finished this morning.